Hi, I'm Harry Abelson, and this is Game Changers with Vicki Abelson, and today's guest is Dan O'Shannon. Harry, you did that so good! Okay, Pete George, you are, you are, you are such dead meat that you are not here again. Two weeks in a row, and Pete's, Pete's your friend. How you be, How can you be friends with someone like I that? I, obviously, I cannot. <laughs> Goodbye, forever, Pete. Goodbye, Pete. You're in Reno somewhere being funny right now. I think that's really annoying, and I don't find that funny at all. So I'm going to look at the shot to make sure. Oh, look how good that is. Are we is. We Oh, Harry, I think it's pretty good, right? Um, yeah, it looks perfect. Yeah, it yeah. Look, Harry, you did an excellent no one job. Cares. Pete, I just want you to know, like, your days are so numbered, because Harry's really doing a very good job. No, I'm kidding. He, I have a disgruntled son. You have a daughter who's... Yeah, she's, yeah. she's gruntled. She's... Yeah. No one's watching us. The debates are on. We can say and do anything I, we want. Now, this is really not fair. That I'm sorry to have you on during the debates. Who, so it's, we, like we can have... to, it's like when I used to do stand-up, and I'd go to a club, and there'd be three people in the audience, and the owner would say, it was packed last week. You know, and I'm like, well, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, or else I, I, would, I was like the late night, a really late night, and like all the, like, Joy Behar would walk in, like way before, the, Joy Behar would walk in, they'd put her up, and like Stephen Wright would walk in, yeah. and, and by the time I would get up there, there'd be like two drunks left in the house, and they'd say, you're not funny, you didn't make them laugh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know that, that yeah, right. Okay, so Dan, oh, yeah. oh see, I, I can't get it, I have what to, all right, I'm trying to get us on here too, so we'll this be, a disaster. <laughs> It's a disaster. I'm trying to get us on here because I don't have Pete, so we're going to be checking to see who's on and who has questions for you. But Nobody will. They're watching the they, debates. Ask us debate questions. They don't. They don't. A debate question. Yeah, sure. And then and Dan will. Okay, so if you ask your questions of, I, I will not say his name. I refuse to say his I name. I know what you mean. And the idiot in chief, I called him. Sure. And look at this. There's there's seven people watching. Seven. <laughs> there's, there, there, I was I, hoping. I was hoping my Jake Hogan. Yeah. All right, Jay. Oh, wait, and Pete's saying, Dan and I have so many things in, in common. common. From Cleveland, divorced twice. twice, love comedy. comedy. Dan, Dan is literally, literally one, one day, day older, older than, than me. You are? Yes, I am. I seem one day more wise. The only difference is that Dan colors his hair gray. <laughs> oh, God bless you. <laughs> um, Carol Kay. Oh, wow. Do you know Carol? Someone, uh, um, Jay Kogan wants us to eat the food. Real, okay, see, we, we, have real, we have real food, and, and we're really going to, Dan's really going to eat the food. Oh, Harry, you framed this beautifully. Pete, I would like you to take note of how, how the look how beautiful that picture, there's no, oh wait, Harry, there's some light showing. Can you hear me? Is this show still on? Yeah, look, a little tiny bit at the top, just make it a little tighter. Nobody you can't cares. see it in the camera, Nobody you have to look cares. on the screen. It's a little tiny, a Nobody little cares. teeny. Tiny Tracy Newman. Hi, Tracy. Tracy. All right, Tracy. Wait, we have to tell the story. <laughs> okay, so Dan, oh. how do you know Tracy Newman? Tracy Newman worked on Cheers when I worked on Cheers. Okay, how old were you? Five. You, no, no, I was. Uh, I heard you were a little I was, I was thirty. I was thirty, but were, I was. I was also a very young thirty. I will say I was not a mature thirty. And you probably now looked, I'm a mature you 30. Look, probably, But you now probably I'm a super mature thirty. You probably looked. 12 when you yeah, were 30. Yeah, I looked like a fetus back then. So I was uh, at Cheers. And, and there were writers there who were a little bit older, a little more experienced. Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. sure. And um, and uh, I, at some point, my writing partner, Tom Anderson, and I were running the show for some reason. I, I think they, they must have just stopped caring at that point who was running <laughs> Cheers because they just gave it to us, you know. And, um, and So in other words, you jumped over... 
well, certain people that were already there. Is that what happened? Oh, we, we kind of moved up sort of quickly, and a bunch of people left at the same time, and that mm. created a vacuum, and then that, that was it. And so, um, and looking back, I, I wish I'd been a little older, a little more mature, but, uh, but uh, Tracy and her partner, uh, John Stark, uh, were on the show. And you know how sometimes you think you're funny all the time, and then it turns out you're not only not funny, but you're kind of rude and hurtful? I was unfortunately like that more than I'd like to remember in, in my late 20s, early 30s. And I think, I think that uh, I would joke around, and I joke around, I don't know what it was. I, I feel like I was not as nice as I should have or could have been. I don't, mean, I don't think I was mean ever intentionally. Okay, that's I remember what this I, one time, I remember yeah. this one time. Like, um, like during the, the big run-throughs at the end of every week, I would sit with uh, like these three other writers and the four of us with this very, very tight group who had been there for a few years together. And one time I came, and there was no set rules about where we sat or anything. Uh huh. And Tracy, but everybody gets a seat. Everybody yeah. has their seat yeah, usually yeah. in places. And, and Tracy's partner was sitting where I usually sit, which is fine. And I think I'm being funny. I go <clears throat> like that, and he gets up and leaves, and I'm like, oh, okay. And I, I sat down, and I was only later uh, that I, I it sort of came back to me how rude that was, and I agree, it was a, a terrible thing to do. So I, the thing is, when I hear about Tracy or, or Jonathan Stark, I always feel a cringe. Of Aww. shame and embarrassment for how I was back in the Cheers day, and I'll never let go. And I've I've seen Tracy since then, and she's wonderful. She's she insanely talented, and mm -hmm. she's beautiful. And I talked to her, and all I can turn into is this little kid who did something stupid. I'm, I'm so sorry about that one time when I said this thing about this thing. And you know, and she always forgives me, and she hugs me, and she's really nice, Aww. and I cannot let go of it. So. Anyway, so it's, it's, Tracy writes, Dan looks like a child. I know he still looks like a child, and she's laughing. She's I, laughing at her. She's eating a cookie. Why would you do that like a child? Pour you a glass of milk. I need to give you I need to give you milk for your cookie. Okay. This is hysterical. Um, so Tracy says so cute. Uh, she's wonderful. She is wonderful. She is wonderful. And I keep meaning to see her live. I'm going to. I'm going to. Tracy is an incredible singer-songwriter. Isn't she? She's incredible. Is she, she posts, I, I mean, I've seen recent stuff online, but she also posts these videos from when she was on TV a long time How ago. About, did you ever see her on, with Johnny Carson when she does magic? Oh, yes, yes, yes. yes. The cards? Yeah, yeah, you know what? I can do a one-handed... Oh, card. you're going to have to... Because of her. Because of her. She showed me a couple hey, of Hey, Harry, things. would you do me a favor? Yeah. There's a deck of cards. There's some decks of cards Please. underneath the coffee table. Can you see if you can find one? Because you're going to have to prove this now. Mm-hmm. It's all can because you? of Tracy. Really? She taught you how to do it? Uh-huh. Yeah. Tracy. And I was a jerk, but she still taught me how to cut cards. That's really impressive. I myself so much. Wow, well, that is really impressive. You know what, Harry? Yeah. In, in, in the metal thing over here, there's decks of cards. There's like a metal thing somewhere, and it's got decks of cards in it. I don't even know where it is. is no, it's, it's under there. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm like giving Harry all this. I think it's under well, the coffee table. There's a whole table. bunch of packs um, in that lower shelf. Oh, yeah. There's, there they are. And there's that thing, too. I'm okay, so we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're still... Is this I'm thing still on? still watching. We're going to have... So the debates are on, and, and so I'm going to have Dan act out all... No, guys, no. <laughs> so, so this is kind of a mess. We have so many candidates going at it that... What's going to happen? He's going to end up winning again. No, I, I don't think so. That can't I, happen. You know what? Here's oh, the thing. Wait, can oh. you guys make sure that they can see this? Well, I, I, I don't know if they can, but... Okay, yeah, yeah. Right you're, you're... That was one. Wow. Uh, let's see, there's another one she taught me. Went uh, something like this. Wow, Tracy, so good. Yeah. And then Damn. Oh, uh, I did too. That's enough. I don't but, know. Uh, that's, that's from Tracy. That's pretty impressive. Thank you, Tracy. That's, that's pretty impressive. I'm so, impressed. So, okay, so... so how the hell are you running 
a room when you're 30 years old. Okay, let's start. So you didn't go to college, and I don't want anybody under 18 watching this show tonight. Not like, go watch the debates, even though you don't want to. I don't want, I, no one under 18 is on Facebook. Is this this is Facebook, right? Yes, and this is my point. So Facebook has this thing called Facebook Watch, uh-huh. right? Where it's there. They're trying to make it like a Hulu or Amazon, right? Oh yeah. And so what they're, they're looking for, in, they want influencers on there that they're gonna pay TV money to because they think they're gonna draw. And I'm trying to tell Facebook Watch that this is their demographic. We are their demographic. So I haven't really gone to Facebook Watch, but I've, I've had the, the gatekeepers not let me get to them because they think they only want influencers. Those, that's not who's on Facebook, right? No, no yes, I My, agree. They, nobody's. I, I'm, yes. Yeah, we should be on Facebook. I've fa- we never should be seen you this angry. We should be on any. Facebook Watch. And you've never met me before, so that's a stretch. Okay, so tell me, Dan O'Shannon, Cleveland. Uh Funny people. Best location in the nation. Fred Willard, also from Cleveland. Love him so much. And you brought him on on, on Modern Modern Family? Family? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was your idea? Um, I think we were batting around names, and I kept kept saying... Fred would be great. Fred okay, great. you're kind of young, but t- did you watch Fernwood tonight? You no, know, it's before. You know what? It's time. a little before me. It I mean, I've seen, I've seen it, but it, when it was first on, I, right? No, you because I was in college then. But watching it after the fact, did, was it funny? Well, Not I, so much. Well, I, you know, it's funny. The, the show itself, you know, I, I don't remember latching on to myself, but watching him mm-hmm. sink into character and say these things, he was always. You know, there was whatever show he was in was funny, but then he was always almost separately funny. I would have like one eye that was just dedicated to watching what he was doing. Like every Christopher yeah. Guest movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's just so good. He is so good. Damn it. Okay, so so you're a kid. You're in Cleveland. When do you know you're funny? Uh, I wasn't for a long time, and uh, you know, I uh, I was not a funny kid. I was not okay. So what funny. what were you as a kid? Like, what was your thing when you were a kid? I was just a random kid. Were you a, a were you like a generic? Did you Boy. play sports? Were you a book? No, kid? I didn't watch you... TV a lot. Okay, so what did you like on TV when you were a kid? Oh, you know, cartoons and stuff. Yeah, those stuff kids watch. You know? Okay. Um, Who did you think was funny? Um, well, I began to develop. Well, I should tell you, when I when I was eight, mm-hmm. um, I was at a school assembly, and there was uh, I was sitting on the gym floor with a bunch of other kids. I've told this story before, so if you've seen me before and I've told this story, I'm sorry. But uh, there was some guy on stage. Everybody just tuned out. It, it, I'm not at all. No. I can't believe they lasted this long. <laughs> no. Really. Um, so uh, and there was a guy on stage. He was Tracy's really telling funny. you, "Well done, by the way, for your card." Thank you, Tracy. <laughs> uh, you know what? I really wish I'd practiced now. Um, but uh, uh, and there was a guy on stage being really funny, and we were all laughing our heads off. And at one point, he leans on the mic stand and he says, "There's nothing like the feeling of making people laugh." And he didn't say it to anyone in particular, but that thought hit me kind of like a, a lightning bolt, the idea that you could make people feel like that. And then what would it feel like to make people laugh all the time? Just to go out there and just by nature of what you're doing or something you've thought of, to make a room full of people, maybe even the whole world feel like this way. Oh, hit me like this gigantically amazing thought. And I remember looking at the other kids thinking they would feel have the same look, like did you hear what he just said? But nobody had, it was like a private lightning bolt. And I was a very analytical, not particularly funny kid. And I remember thinking, Starting tomorrow, I'm funny. And I, I woke up the next day. You made a decision. To be funny, yeah. To be it funny. It had never occurred to me before. And the next morning I woke up and I thought, starting today, I'm funny. <laughs> I had no idea how you start being funny. And so I did what anyone would do. And I, I imitated that which I found funny. And so um, 
you know, what was funny to me at the time was, you know, at that time, they were always running old Jerry Lewis movies. Uh-huh. So everything was all physical. And I did that. I learned very quickly. There's nothing like the feeling of not making people laugh. But then it became this thing, well, wait, how do you do it? And I, became, I, I was the youngest comedy theoretician ever. But I was constantly studying stand-ups on TV, sitcoms, cartoons, then then the funnies in the, the paper, you know, as we call so, them. And what's, drive, what's, what's striking you as funny mostly at that time is physical stuff? That's the stuff that's... Yeah, I think it was a little young for kind of wit. Right, that. right. Uh, and, you know, the cartoons and, and like everything. Uh, and I was just absorbing like crazy. And I would then go try things. And sometimes things would sort of work, but not. And I couldn't so figure out So would you try them with your peers? Would you try them at home? Yeah, teachers, parents... Peers, okay. I was obnoxious, and I was that needy kid who was always trying to be funny. And there were always kids who had lots of charisma and confidence, and they were naturally funny, and I hated them because <laughs> I couldn't do it. And uh, and it took me years of, of trial and error and alienating and you, everybody. You, you remained determined to yeah. stay on this course. Still am. So um, yeah. So <laughs> it's worked uh, out pretty well for finally you. Finally, around. 17 or and then I got into like reading essays by funny people Robert Benchley stuff like that and okay wait excuse yeah. me for one second so at eight what do you decide you want to do with this you want to be funny what do you want to be when you grow up I think you... I think my first inkling was like be in funny movies or be ah. a comedian I'd seen okay. those so I thought that or like this guy who had done whatever he did on stage you know um, and uh, something, you know, I was a little vague. It was just going to be okay, funny, so I, and then the then the doors would open up. And what know? comics were you other than Jerry Lewis? Who did you think was funny when you were a kid? Well, you know, uh, usually it would be the people that they uh, showed in old movies back then. So I would watch Abbott and Costello. Uh -huh. uh, um, you know, and even with Jerry Lewis, it was I always enjoyed him with Dean Martin better uh, yeah. myself. And um, you know, a lot of old comedians, uh, Bob Hope. I, I really liked him his, his early movies. Mm -hmm. um, you know, stuff like that. And and then again, there were sitcoms back when I was little, little. You start with like a Gilligan's Island kind of thing, and then you sort of grow from there. But, um, so yeah, so I just absorbed like crazy. And around uh, 17 or 18, I started to become what I would call reliably funny, where I would actually make up something that would get a laugh. And then... Um, Do you and, remember any of your... No, I don't. I remember, I remember like the first jokes I wrote when I started doing stand-up. Okay. Uh, but, you got uh, one for us? Yeah, it's, you know, here's the thing. None of these things date well. Well, that, well of course they don't. <laughs> it, it, would, it wouldn't be good if it was funny yeah, now. Yeah. Well, I, I went on stage and I, I said that uh, it was a big day at my house because my sister had been elected carrier of the month by the Cleveland Plain Dealer and the Free Clinic. And that was, you know, <laughs> newspapers had carrier of the month back then. You know, um, so, uh, so, yeah, so I, uh, I started Actually, doing stand-up. that, stand -up that, 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 that uh, pretty well. Yeah, oh, thanks. Thanks. So it started around then, and mm -hmm. then that began, began my real sort of education. And I would, you know, write jokes, but then I'd have these little breakthroughs, and I would get a little better. Okay, wait, wait. So how did, how, how did you start doing stand-up? Like, you need five minutes, pretty much. Yeah. Well, um, at that time, I was right at the beginning of the comedy boom in the early 80s. Mm -hmm. And so there was a Cleveland comedy club. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and they had an open mic night every Sunday night, and you would just go and sign up, and you'd have 10 minutes. 10? Yeah. Wow. Well, it was the Midwest. It was different than like Chicago, New York, or right. Los Angeles. You have three minutes, and you have to wait all day to maybe get three minutes. In right. Midwest. But back then, in, in the Midwest, I was very lucky to be there. Hmm. But um, So I went one week just to watch, because I didn't think I was going to be good. But did, I, you have an, did you have 10 minutes of comedy? No. No. 
I, I, I wanted to watch and just see what kinds of things people were doing. Mm -hmm. And uh, my goal wasn't to be the best person. I just didn't want to be the worst person. So I wanted to go to <laughs> see if there was somebody. Goal. I, I, I wanted to see somebody so bad that if I went up the next week, I wouldn't be that bad. And, and I watched, and the first person was really, he went up and he was good. And then there was a woman who went up and she was funny. And I thought, I'm never going to do it. And then a guy went up. And he talked about living on a farm, and he did all these farm puns. I don't make a big celery, but I don't care at all. And I thought, I'm in show business, you know? <laughs> did anybody so, laugh at him? Oh, I, no. no, I was thrilled, though. I was, yeah. I was the only person in the audience that was happy to see him. Because it meant yeah. I could do it. Oh. And so I, I'm not going to be that bad. And so that week, <laughs> I wrote a bunch of jokes. And um, Okay, so t stop a second again. What is... How... Did, were you constructing jokes back then? What uh, what was your model, or were you an observational comic? Were you well? That's the thing. I didn't I didn't think of a point of view yet. I wasn't quite there yet. Okay. And so what I did, I wrote jokes that felt or looked like jokes. Um, like oh, I'll see. I would say things like um uh, like uh, something about like remembering going to school. Uh, and my mom dressing me in my big yellow slicker with the big rain boots that used to con con all the other kids at school would laugh at me and beat me up and steal my lunch money. Oh, I hated college. You know, <laughs> so that, that kind, of, kind of twist at the end. You know, so you set yeah, up an I like image. it. Okay. And so that would be like one of the early jokes. <laughs> mm -hmm. And um, and so I, I, I wrote a bunch and I grouped them by topic and then create a little segue. To so it was personal stuff. You weren't you weren't talking but, about the news. Well, that's the problem. See, I was. Oh. Oh. And so I would I would talk about family. I would talk about politics. I would talk about my okay. girlfriend, uh, college, uh, you know, sex, you know, all these different things. I okay. grouped them by topic. Mm -hmm. And I went up, and I was very nervous. I did okay uh, that first week, and then I started doing it regularly. And so what was regularly? Because like, like every Sunday night. Okay. Uh, so once I, so it was a just week. At, just that one place. And then I think they opened a second club nearby, so it was two nights a week. Mm -hmm. And I was hit and miss. Some nights I would just kind of really nail it, and other times not so much. And I would change jokes around and, and add. Did you ever bomb? Yeah, a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, a few times. And, it's oh, 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 it's absolutely horrible. And so, um, and then then I had this kind of revelation. I remember I was thinking about the act, and and I was at my parents' house, I was cutting the grass, and I remember having this one thought. I thought. You know, I'm going to look at it from the audience's point of view. Like, what are they experiencing when I go on stage? So they hear Dan O'Shannon, they hear the sound of my name, and then they see me go up the stairs and bounce to the mic. Now, at that time, I looked very young. You know, I was, that is so shocking to me. <laughs> I, I am finding I was, that. I like I I finding that host so hard. I mean, he's all gray and everything. Yeah. You still yeah. look twelve. You, you look. You look like a weird twelve-year-old with gray hair. That's I don't, no, yes, it is. The original fake Paul is watching. Hi, Mitch. Mitch Weissman was Paul McCartney in Beatlemania. Oh, for gosh And he's watching us. Hey. Yes. Hi, Hello. Mitch. Okay. So, um, we're going to say hi to some people Hello. in there. Yeah. So, um, I got, so, I, um, so I'm thinking, what are they thinking of me, right? So I go to the mic and I'm thinking to the audience, I must look like this boy next door, just wide-eyed and innocent. Yes. So as soon as I start talking about sex or politics, I'm going against whatever they're thinking of me. Isn't that a good thing, though? A, a strong stand-up could change what they're thinking of you. But I was not strong. I did not have those kind of chops on stage. I see. So I decided, like judo, why not use what is already I don't there. know what judo... The well, it's like you use their force against ah. them, is the thinking. I think. I don't know. Someone who knows judo, tell me if I'm right. So, um, tell us the answer to that, please. So, oh, people are, are 
they're lo loving that. Oh, look look nice. at all that little love you're, you're getting. Nice? Thank you. You're getting love and laughs. Oh, well. Um, <laughs> and 11 people are watching. 11 people. That's what I wanted. That was my goal. <laughs> Did, didn't I? I said 11 people. You did. Because yeah. we're fighting the presidential debates. It's just yeah. not fair. Um, so uh, what I did was I decided to immediately cut everything that was worldly out of my act. And the next time I went on stage, I wore a sweatshirt that was a little too big for me to accent the kind of youthful thing, and I amped up my nervous energy. And suddenly everything clicked because now there, now there was a character on stage telling these jokes, and every joke told them a little more about the character, and then the character infused every joke. So can you remember a joke that you told like oh, that? I, you know, I could, those other jokes I told you, if I told them with that right, character, right. They, they're very helpful. You know, but um, uh, I think what happened before that, I thought that your comedy act was just your material. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the act. But no, that's just a blueprint. That's just material, those are words. And it is not the act. The act is an experience that you create with an audience. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I thought of myself, I guess, before that as almost an anonymous delivery system. I would go out there as a nice, clean-cut guy, and I would say these jokes and put them in the air and hope that they would laugh at the jokes and put another joke and hope they'd laugh at the jokes. When I became a character, mm -hmm. I joined my act. The act was the material plus me Ooh. on stage. And so I was answering the subconscious question of the audience always is, who are you? Why are we now being quiet to listen to you talk? Mm -hmm. You know, so whether you're talking about even observational stuff that has nothing to do with you, that's still telling them who you are Absolutely. because of your point of view. And so when I began to answer that question with my act, then I started. It started to gel into something, and then I started working uh, professionally. And so when did so you're right? You're obviously writing your act, so mm -hmm. you're writing when you're doing that. When does it start to become a dream to write for television? Well, I guess it always had been, oh. actually, except that back then, because mm -hmm. we're talking 1982, uh, there was no internet. Nobody had computers. You know, the idea of, of writing Life for was television... was so much simpler then. Oh, yeah. But, you know, the idea of writing for television, if you live mm -hmm. in Ohio, that was like crazy. It was like working on the moon. Nobody knew where television and movies came from, either New York or, or uh, Los Angeles. And so it was just an alien kind of thing to tell people. I remember uh, I, I was talking to this girlfriend. Yeah, I had a girlfriend. And um, <laughs> I said, I would like to go out one day and write for Johnny Carson. And she looked at me. She said, well, what do, you, what do you mean write for Johnny Carson? And I said, like, I would write his jokes. Oh, she didn't realize that yeah. there was somebody behind yeah. the curtain. So I said, I like to write his jokes. And she thought about it. She said, oh, you mean like when he says jokes, you'll take them down like a stenographer? I'm like, no, I'd write them before he says them. Well, how do you know what he's going to say? Oh, you know, my was, God. But people just so you know. like dumb girls. Oh, uh, but, but by the way, it, that's, that was Ohio smart. <laughs> but, but, uh, uh, by the way, so, uh, yeah, so. By the way, there are a it. lot of people still that don't realize yeah, that yeah. When, when the talk show host goes out there, that there's actually people behind him that have written all those things. Yeah, yeah. They think they're doing them on the fly. Yeah. So I'd always wanted to write sitcoms and that sort of thing, but there was no way to go from just being a guy in Cleveland who dropped out of college to suddenly doing that because I just had no idea what the Okay, so was. why did you drop out of college? We talked about this a little bit before the show, but but speak because speak to the people, to the youngins out there. We don't well, want I was, them. I was a terrible student anyway, because unless it was something I was interested in, then I would ace it. Were you good in English? Yeah. Because yeah. you wrote. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I was pretty bad at everything else. I, I, it's amazing I got out of high school. Uh, but I, uh, I wanted to write TV, and that's why I told the people at Cleveland State University. Uh, <laughs> and they were like, yeah, that would be cool. But that was as far as they got because they didn't know how to do it. Because there was no internet access. They couldn't 
they couldn't go to websites and find out what a spec script is, how you write for TV, how right. you format a script, what story structure is for the half hour form. There was no way for the teachers there to know that. So it was essentially useless for me. So I dropped out and did stand-up and I figured at least I could figure out how comedy works at least enough to kind of get a, get a little experience in it and see if I have any talent for this at all. Then once I started getting So the jokes, dream was to do that to get you that you, yeah, you had always, that yeah. ultimate goal. Well, it, was, it was one of those things where I started doing it and I thought, well, you know, this might be the thing. Maybe once I'm on stage, that just becomes my life and the thing I shoot for. I see. Uh, but when I did it for a while, once I'd done it for about two or three years, mm -hmm. and by this time I'm traveling around and, and doing it professionally, I felt like I was good, but I was not... I was not going to be a Seinfeld. I was not going to be one of these big people that, that, that was going to you know, go and get a show of their own or something. I was serviceable. but um, You're headlining. Yeah, yeah. And you're, I, you're traveling. Yeah, but yeah. I was more, I, I think, and I was writing for other comics that would come through town. Ah. And I, I felt that I was, you know, it was just not the life I decided I wanted to choose. I wanted to, to have a regular job to go to and try to write and be creative and then go home at the end of the evening and not just drive around, you know. Uh, so, so that's a very good goal. So, and that was a reasonable one because mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, it was it I worked was, out reasonable for you. I know a lot of comics who've been trying to do that yeah. for forty years. And but I also know a lot of comics who back then hung on to doing stand up, thinking that one day that break will come, one day that break will come, and like there was a there was kind of a comedy bust in the late eighties mm -hmm. for a while, and um, you know I, I felt like I, I had a good sense of where I was it was kind of like it was never the gonna, yeah. it was never the dream though to be the comic that gets plucked and gets the Seinfeld sitcom that is yours no I, I think that I, I one of the things I learned by being on the road by doing stand-up is that it was fun but it wasn't I wasn't hungry for it like some people are uh -huh. some people they just lived and ate and breathed it and I, I was just I enjoyed it mm -hmm. but uh, it didn't I began to realize it wasn't where my heart lay interesting lied. and and so <coughs> how did you learn to write? So, oh, so, so tell me, take me through the process, how it evolved. Well, I had to, uh, first I had to run away from home. It's <laughs> um, actually true. Because my parents, first of all, How old were you? Well, I was 22, but I, uh, but, but. <laughs> Harry, Dan ran away from home at 22. Harry's 25, he lives with me. I love it though. Well, but. you see, my parents, as I said, they were kind of furious that I dropped out of college, right? Yeah. And, um. They did not believe that I should be pursuing comedy in any yes. way. In fact, I, I tell a story about how, you know, how sometimes when people believe in you, that's the, that's the fuel you need to have a great life and a good career because people believe in you and your, your support system. Likewise, if people don't believe in you, you can Absolutely harden into this little mean person and prove oh. it to them. It's a very, very potent, very toxic kind of fuel. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I became that, there was a time my dad and I were walking down a street in Cleveland and somebody drove by in a Jaguar. And my dad said, those are pretty nice cars, but they're awfully expensive. I don't know why I said it, but he did. And I was very flippant and I said, well, when I'm rich, I'll buy you a Jaguar. And he whirls around at me in the street. He points his finger at my eyes. He says, you're never going to be rich because you're never going to be anything because you just goof off and you just try to be silly all the time instead of take, uh, focusing on things that are important. You're never going to be anything. Oh, 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 wait. How old are you when he does this? 17. So he keeps walking, and I'm following him. I'm fighting the tears, but I'm also thinking, buddy, you just screwed yourself out of a car. You know? There was this little part of me that was going to be like, I'm going to be rich enough to buy a Jaguar. You're not going to get one. <laughs> and, and that was part of what drove you to be successful to yes, prove absolutely. this? Yes, absolutely. That's, that's the kind of fuel that makes you take three jobs and write on the weekends and do whatever it takes. What did your father do? Uh, he worked at a jewelry store in Cleveland. Um, and by the way, he, he's... Fine, where everything's fine now. It was a long time ago. Of course. But uh, and uh, did so, you ever talk to him about the Jaguar? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. 
And um, <laughs> but uh, it was one of those things where uh, I would say I want to go to California and write TV, and he would say, "Who do you think you are? The next Woody Allen?" The people they would just let people write TV. I think well, they're letting somebody do it because it's there. And so finally, uh, there was a, a nice guy that I'd met, a guy named Gary Rayner, who was uh, doing stand up in Ohio, and mm -hmm. he um, said he was moving out to Los Angeles, and if I ever needed a couch to sleep on, to sleep on, he'd let me do that. So I, uh, I had a hundred bucks in my pocket and a one-way ticket, and I left a note on the kitchen table to my parents, and I left, and they were furious for quite a long time. You had a hundred bucks? Yeah, yeah. A hundred bucks, what yeah. year is this? 1984, so that's like having 108 bucks today. <laughs> so it wasn't that cheap. A hundred bucks, yeah. that's pretty ballsy. I, I knew one guy who said I could sleep on his couch. That was it. And, um, and then I got a job. Did you have any skills? Did you ever work? Uh, I did a little bit of stand-up here. But I mean, but it was not, you, you couldn't make money. No, no. Yeah. right. But so I, I worked at a movie theater. I worked at the Sherman Oaks Galleria back when it was... Harry works at a movie theater. Oh, yeah. I yes. loved that job. I may have to do it again soon. But I, uh, <laughs> Harry, will you hire Dan? Okay. Please. <laughs> so um, I worked there, and um, at that time I met uh, a comedian named Karen Haber, yeah. uh, who introduced me to a writer named Mark Sutton, who was writing for... Uh, for Charles in charge. And through him I learned what a spec script was, how you pick a show when you write a sample script. Okay, so how did you, how did you do, there is no internet. Yeah. So what I did was I took a bus into Hollywood and there was uh -huh. a store there that sold uh, that sold scripts of TV episodes as souvenirs. I plopped down $5, I bought an episode of Cheers, written by David Lloyd, and I studied oh, no, this thing. You, you just gave me good, that, oh, that's oh, just I studied this weird. thing, I studied this thing. And I borrowed a manual typewriter on which the space key did not always work. So after every word, I had to manually advance the carriage, you know. Oh my and God. and to get the margins right, I would hold up script pages at the window so the sun would come through, and I'd put my typing paper on and mark where the margins would be, and then back in the computer and tick, tick, space. The typewriter, not yeah. the computer. Right. Oh yeah. Oh. And uh, and then this uh, writer, Mark Sotkin, he looked at it and gave me notes. Here's what you did right. Here's what you did wrong. And I did another one, and then I did another one, and then. He got me a job uh, on a, a low staff level job on a show called It's a Living. Okay, now wait a minute. Yeah. You did like three drafts. I did two drafts of a cheer script and then I did a script of the Cosby show. You did three scripts mm -hmm. and you got a staff job. I was, I can't tell you how lucky I was. I mean, it was, well, it was there's more there. There's more going on there than luck, but okay. But, uh, that got me my That's first job. Amazing. That got me an agent and then I did other shows after that. and. Um, okay, so now tell me about getting your first staff job uh, and working in your first writer's room. What's that experience? It's terrifying. It's terrifying. That's the thing. I, you know, uh, sometimes you know, uh, writers will get together and they'll teach classes and you know, uh, uh, writing. And uh, sometimes, if I do it, I will also make sure to dedicate a class to you're in the writer's room now. What? Because everyone seems focused on getting that writer that first job, and then you get in there, and you're sitting in a big room with a lot of people, often who know each other, right? For years, and they have a shorthand, and you're scared to death. And so sometimes you clam up, sometimes you talk too much, sometimes you don't read the room. Sometimes there are there are things you should avoid, pitfalls that a lot of young writers fall into. So, give us um, a couple of those. Oh, uh, well, let's see. There's the uh, the what I call the preamble to a pitch. Let's okay. say we're looking for a line for a character, and you come up with an idea, and you say. Oh, you know what? You know what would go, be good here? Uh, I was thinking about this thing that happened to me when I was like 10 years old and my brother and I were playing and I put him in the dryer and then and you tell this like five hour story so they finally go to. So I was thinking, what if this character says, ah, well, whether the joke works or not, you've just held the room hostage for five minutes telling right. them where the pitch came from. Uh-huh. You know? And then there's uh, also, you know, if, if when you're starting off, um, 
When you're starting off, you should kind of you know keep back, lay low a little bit, just throw in your little pitches and fixes. Don't suddenly criticize the story or don't you know have problems with something without some possible pitch, you know. Um, and also don't be too quick to jump into those little funny room bits until you've sort of proven yourself a little bit as a writer. But there are lots of you know uh, things people do out of nervousness to try to fit in uh, a writer. So what, what would like a funny room bit be? Oh gosh, you know what? I, I could go on, but it would look nothing would look less funny in the world right now. Because it really is. No, and by the way, Jake Hogan, who's I think still watching, would tell you, don't take a room bit out of the room because it's just like ah, you know. But I mean, is, is there one? Is there something that somebody would, would try that like didn't land? Like, can you think of well, one that like, like didn't like, land? For example, we just jump into silly. So we just make silly jokes, or and we compound the jokes, or do characters, or throw things at each other. Something would become a bit. We, you know. But uh, like somebody would do something that would not work. And well, then they feel that's, foolish. Well, that's a, that's kind of a different thing, and that's just part of the job. Oh, okay. You know, in fact, actually, you know, it's funny. Uh, I used to, uh, you know, when you pitch a joke, if it doesn't work, the room's fine with it because everyone's pitching jokes right. that work and don't work. Right. However, if you pitch a long bit and it doesn't work, then everyone's staring at you, and that's uncomfortable. <laughs> and that's that's where I would just like, if I did that and everyone's looking at me, I would do the craziest things to kind of like divert the attention or just like. You know, I would do any kind of bit to just get out of that silence. You know? And one thing I would do... Anybody who comes in and watches the show latest, we have to get these out so they don't see it because they won't understand what it is. Yeah. Uh, there was one thing that I used to do. Uh, I would turn to my writing partner, Tom Anderson, at the time. Yeah, I tell me how that happened, yeah. too. Yeah. And, uh, and I would say... Because he looks like Harry Anderson, but that's another do story. Uh, I, do. I would turn after something embarrassing and I would say, did I say that out loud? And we'd all kind of laugh. And then one week, uh, a writer named Rob Long said, hey, why don't we, that thing that dances, why don't we give that to, to Cliff on Cheers? And so Cliff, we had a line for him where he goes on and on. Everyone looks at him and he says, did I say that out loud? And a year later, two of the writers who had been on the show were on two different shows and they used the same line. And then it became like Chandler's first joke on Friends. <laughs> then it started getting used on every sitcom in the world. Then it started getting used in real life. It is used in real life. So every time I hear that, so I you feel started like, that. Yeah. So every time I hear that, come I feel on, like so did much you really start that? You can't find it before 1990 from an episode of Cheers. Do you swear? Yeah, constantly. All right, I challenge anybody out there to tell me a, a time before 1990 that somebody said, "Did I say that a lot?" Because I, we've all said that. Yeah, and since and 1990. <laughs> Yeah. By the way, if you find it, I'll stop saying that I thought it. But yeah, it's working. Um, that's pretty crazy right now. We're gonna we're gonna say hello to people in a yes, minute. Yes, let's let's let's. Um, um, uh, okay, so let's say let let's see who's on here and let's say hello to some people. So I yeah, so Pete was on here. I don't know. You can eat some. So yeah, Jake Hogan. For God's sake, someone eat the fruit. <laughs> Jake saying eat, who eats fruit? I don't know. It's just there. Um, so yeah, Tracy's here. Pete, no hips. That's right, Pete. There was no hips today. Robert Owen, hi. John Green, hi. Michelle, hi. Tommy Gunn, wow, I knew Tommy Gunn from New York. I don't know Tommy Gunn. I was a rock and roll promoter, and so was Tommy. That's how I know him. Do you have Vicky's book, everybody? They should, right? Yeah. They should. It's called Don't Jump. Mm -hmm. um, Mike DeVille, my, my Honda guy, I'm coming to see you, Mike, for my air conditioning on Friday. It's, it's screwed up. It, anyway, hi, Cheryl Nimitz. Hi, who else am I saying? Lisa, um, Polly, John, Asher, Mitch, I love you. Don Bruce, it doesn't mean that I don't love the rest of you. Bruce Berman, hey. Michael like, Hall, hello. It is like romper room. Marcy, Michael, Polly, I'm saying the same names again. Hi, Gary, I'm so happy that you love it. Um, he was with us yesterday. Harold, hi, Eileen. Um, Michael Wild, um, my dad, his dad, John Myers' dad, dad was the same kind of guy. And 
I'm sorry, mom, but my mom too. My my mom told me three years ago that I should drive for Uber. That 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 yeah. That wow. I should stop this little hobby that I have and I should drive oh for God. Uber. And oh. um, it, it it is, but you know I I can't buy her that Jaguar yet. So oh. I I need to I need to work on that because okay. that yeah I gotta buy the da- the Jaguar and all. She actually has stopped. She she actually watches and gets kick out of these, but. Um, Good. But well, yeah, those things are. That's, that's hard. Yeah, that stuff is hard. Okay, so let's get back to. If you guys have questions, I will eventually come back. We we just said hi to all of you, or most of you. Hi, Wallace. Ask a and question. Phil. Ask a question if you've got one of Dan. Otherwise, they're going to be all my questions. But I'm I'm happy to ask yours. So so how? At least you're eating fruit. I know. Jay he, said I do what Jay says. <laughs> okay, I like you're teachable. That's mm-hmm. a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um. So okay. So. There's a bulb out. See, now I'm going to get obsessed because there's a bulb out. That's that's going to be like the whole... Re- there's going to be a bulb out. So, how did you hook up with your partner? How did that happen? Uh, my friend Tom and I were good friends back in Cleveland when we were doing stand-up. And okay. we really hit it off and we could write jokes well together. And then um, I sort of made the move out here. And after I'd been here a couple of years and I'd worked on a couple of shows... Um, I talked to Tom about, we, we talked about the possibility of writing together. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I had freelanced an episode of Newhart. And um, that was Bob Newhart's second show, where he's in an inn. I then, heard that you wrote a very uh, epic episode of Newhart. I, I came up with a bit that's rather well known. but uh, um, We'll talk about that. Yeah. Um, but uh, so uh, I did a freelance episode of that. And then there was a writer's strike. And during that writer's strike, I went back to Cleveland. And Tom and I wrote a spec, Cheers, actually. We, we had Cliff auditioning for Jeopardy and stuff like that. So this is before Cheers, clearly. Yeah. They tell you not to write a spec script for the show you want to write Which, for. Which, we wanted to write for Newhart at the time. So we came back uh, after the writer's strike. He and I were hired on Newhart. We did a year of that show. And then we went over to Cheers. And we did that for four years. And during that time, we split up as, as partners, but we're still friends. We're still uh-huh. friends, I tell um, And uh, um, But yeah, the spec script that we wrote had two different stories in it. One was Cliff auditioning for Jeopardy and one was about Sam pitching an old-timers game, and both of them actually turned into individual episodes. Oh, wow. Which uh, we were quite pleased about. But, um, and then, uh, yeah, but about halfway through Cheers, we, st- we were writing individually, and so we... Uh, so let's talk about the iconic Newhart bit yeah. that you came up with. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> uh, we were, it was the second last year of Newhart, although we thought it was the final year. So we knew we were going to need an end to the series. And I had just seen the end of St. Elsewhere, and the end of St. Elsewhere. Hi, Ed Bagley. Hi, Bigot. I love I Ed. So much. <laughs> Me too. He's a good Is friend. He I, I, he, you never know, and I love Ed. I'm oh, going to make him watch. I hope he does. Yeah. He's so great. He's so funny. Oh Have you worked with Ed? Uh, he was in a pilot and he, that I did, and he was really great. I loved him so much. And then the studio apology, you know how it all mm-hmm. gets, and then you have to do some recasting, and he was recasting, and it broke my heart. We got a wonderful actor to take that spot, but at the same time, I felt we also lost a wonderful actor. Mm-hmm. Oh, Ed. Anyway. doesn't get much funnier than Ed. I know. And so, um, anyway, uh, so. New heart. St. Elsewhere had just ended, and the whole series, it seems, is the vision of a kid looking at a snow globe, and I thought that was really cool. And so I came to work, and I said, what if we have Bob Newhart's character hit in the head with something, and he wakes up next to Suzanne Plachette, and the whole thing is a dream <laughs> by his other character. And we all laughed about it. Hey, that'll be fun, whatever. And it looked like we were going to do it. And then Newhart got picked up for an additional season. And in the break, Tom and I went to Cheers. Um, oh. So they went ahead and did the episode without me, which is fine. Um, 
But here's the thing, Bob Newhart himself... So you didn't write that script? I didn't write the script. I just came up with the idea of waking up with Suzanne Plachette and ending with the old That's a pretty big that part of the yeah, whole yeah, deal yeah. right there. However, there is a little asterisk because Bob Newhart uh, claims that his wife thought of it some years earlier at dinner and that's how it all came to be. Uh, and I don't disbelieve that she ever did come up with the idea. But the writing staff did not hear from there's also that part of the story where bob then told the writers but he didn't so then when we started doing it my guess is he told his wife hey we're doing this ending and she said you mean my ending and he said yes <laughs> that's my guess this <laughs> oh yeah so, so i will happily say yes i'm sure she probably thought of it at some Aww. point but the way we ended up doing it was because i came in the room and, and pitched it and so the, the other writers who were in the room at that time will always say oh dan came in and did it so it's this this um, kind of bittersweet thing where it's, I'm very proud to have been a part of it, but I, you know, there's a the fact that there's a debate is, about it is kind of sad. But whatever. Has there it's ever been a TV a, show. has there ever been a debate um, about the the uh, mm -hmm. the, the um, now I can't even remember what it was that that uh, that you started in 1990. Wait, what's that one again? Oh, did I, oh, did I say that out loud? Has there ever been a debate about that? You know what? I uh, was talking to somebody about that some years ago, and she said she said, damn. People were saying that before. Cheers. And then I dug up some old New York Times article about uh, jokes that have been used a lot on TV, and it mentions that that one came from Cliff on Cheers. So it's a... Uh, wow. What? You say wow. You just said wow 10 minutes ago when I first told you, but you didn't No, I'm like really impressed. I have a friend, you know, I'm, I'm a 12-stepper, and in the rooms of, of the 12 steps, everybody um, says, um, uh, um, oh, God, um, uh, what what's said here stays here, um, and everybody goes here here. Yeah. And so I have a friend that claims that he coined that in a meeting. Guess what? And uh, bless you. And and. Oh dear. I believe. Why not? Maybe he did. But it's said in every room around the world every day. The uh, what happens here stays here here here. Did he coin that? Oh, That's yeah, what I mean, he that says. Well, That's what he says. When I was a little kid, I knew a kid who said, his name was Alan Horvath, he lived on Euclid Avenue in Cleveland. No, no, Meredith Avenue. And he said that his older brother thought of the line, I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> and then when I saw it on TV, I was like, your brother's line is famous. I was so happy to believe everything that anyone told me. I, it was like a movie from like the 1940s. I'm like, aha, it's famous. But three, and someone like, you know, whatever, it's crazy. Oh, geez. All right, so, so, so you write three spec scripts, you end up on a show, uh -huh. you obviously are good at what you do because you keep doing it. So how do you go from Newhart to Cheers to then running that room? Well, is well Cheers is kind of funny because uh, Tom and I were on Newhart. And during our time on Newhart, mm -hmm. uh, the people running Cheers, it was uh, uh, Sherry and Bill Steinkellner and Fife Sutton, had seen our spec script and they asked us through our agent if we wanted to freelance an episode. But we were on Newhart, so we went up to our bosses and we said, please, 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 can we freelance an episode of Cheers? I mean, it would be a dream come true to have done an episode of Cheers. And still, it's just an amazing show. I can't believe we got to do it. And our bosses said, well, if you can do it in such a way that you don't take time away from your, the show you're on, mm -hmm. and we don't even, we're not even aware you're doing it, and you promise that if they ask you to be on staff, you don't go over there, then we'll let you do this. And we were like, no, we wouldn't do that. <laughs> Newhart, by the way, <laughs> you're insulting us. And we wrote the script, and uh, <laughs> and then it cheers. They liked it enough to invite us to staff, and we said yes. <laughs> 
Did you ever get called out for it? Oh, yes. Oh, the yes. People were not happy with us. So you left Newhart all around, not good stuff. Don't Have you me. seen Bob since then? No, but you know, here's the thing. Like, uh, He is one of the he's greatest, amazing. He's amazing. And I listened funniest. to all his albums when I was a kid. And, yeah. I mean, just till the grooves were out on the record. And, uh, um, and Tom and I were so sort of starstruck, because it was our first big show, that neither of us spoke to him until our last day. Yeah, and oh I, we no! Him, Hi, Mr. Newhart. We write for your show. He's like, I know who you are. <laughs> wow! But we were all we were scared. He was great though. Oh, I, I liked him. You know that that whole thing about the ending, notwithstanding, he's amazing. I mean, it's Bobby Newhart. So. So you can be on a show for a year. Yeah. And not ever talk to the town. If if you're lucky. <laughs> or careful. Wow. Was that, and was that, your, what was your experience? Well, but, even, with, but even on Cheers. I was, was that's still, what yeah. I was going to just ask. You know, because someone recently. Hi, George. I like George. Oh, I, like George. I love them all. You know, uh, I was, I don't think I ever got over my intimidation uh, through the Cheers years even. Uh, and I. How know, were Ted Danson and Shelley Long when they were in well, the night I, of I, I wasn't uh, there during the Shelley Long years. I was there for Kirstie Alley. Okay. And by the way, everyone was great. Everyone was super nice to me. Um, but someone recently ran into Ted uh, on The Good Place. And, oh, I work with your friend Ted Danson. And I wrote to her and I said, you know, I wish I had taken the time to, or had the nerve to just start up a conversation with him, to talk to him, because he's such a great guy. And, and you I, didn't? I, all that time? No, I mean, I, I, like small talk. Or we would talk about lines in the script. And I think there were a couple of times that he said things that were sort of like open invitations for discussion, and I was like, <laughs> run away. You know, but I was... <laughs> I was young. You were a kid. I was uh, an image, like I say, even at 30, I was sort of And he was a way. huge star. He was and a huge talent it and did. truly the nicest guy. So mm. pretty much all of, all of the people on Cheers were so nice. And I was, <laughs> I was a kid and I was scared of all of them. But uh, they were great to me. Were you? Did you come in when Kirstie Alley came in? Did you come in after she was already she, in? She'd been established for a year. So she was already? She, yeah. Okay. I didn't have to do any real work. Everyone was already there. Um, did you did you come up with Norm? No, no. Oh, God, so that... Can you imagine? No, no, no. Although by the time by the time Tom and I kind of took over the show at the end, um, there had been 250 episodes shot, and most of them took place in the bar, mm -hmm. and ev most of the episodes had more than one story. So there had been essentially 500 stories told in that bar when we took over. Right. You know, and then you have to write the millionth Norm joke or the millionth time that uh, Carla slams Cliff. You know, <laughs> and. Um, you know, in a show that long, it's very tricky because it's hard to keep growing the characters past the quirks that made them funny. Right. You know, you want to sort of keep them where they're still funny, but at the same time, you don't want it to get stale. Did anything iconic come out of your time on Shears? I doubt it. <laughs> and the truth is, I know it. It's funny, I don't remember a lot of it. I, well, I don't go back and watch things I've worked on before. I have not seen an episode of Cheers since 1993. I haven't seen a Frasier since 2004. Um, okay, we have to talk about Frasier next. But uh, there was recently a, a Cheers reunion. Oh. Uh, and a bunch of us went to that, and a lot of the, the cast was there. And um, I think I might have even talked to some of them. I was going to say, were you, did you I mean, talk? I'm sure I sat with her. I sure, I sure I turned into a 30-year-old again. <laughs> but, um, but they showed a montage, uh, 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 like a montage of Cheers through the years, different funny bits and scenes mm -hmm. and stuff. And I watched it. All the writers, I think, I think we all watched it the same way, which was, not mine, not <laughs> mine, not mine. <laughs> Not mine. Not mine. I helped. On, I helped on that. Not mine. You know. <laughs> yeah. Be, having been married to a comedy writer, I know how that that, that yeah, goes. Yeah. yeah. That's hysterical. Okay. So, so, uh, so. Cheers. You're there till the end. Yeah. 
And and you know that it's going to end. So what are you doing? Because you you guys are obviously have one foot in another door before a, a door is closing. So what are you guys? Oh, you're not a partner. You're not a team anymore. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So what are you, Dan, doing? Um, I worked at. Uh, I had a development deal with Disney. I did a show that came and went. It's not. You know. Wait, wait, wait. But 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 you're in the last year of Cheers. You know that it's ending. What are you doing to shore up your? Well, I, uh, my agent was looking for some sort of development deal somewhere. And I, uh, by the way, before Cheers ended, I had already written a pilot that I might be interested in trying to get done. Okay. And that became a show that did six episodes and gone. Not, not even worth wasting time with at the moment. Okay. It was fun. And, um, but you got yeah, a yeah, show. Yeah, and then I worked on a, a bunch of different shows. I worked on, you know, Suddenly Susan, King of Queens. Okay, like so that. Suddenly Susan. Uh, we, did you work with Kathy Ladman? Was Kathy on no, then? No, okay. no, no. Although um, I know I I run into her every now and again since the eighties. Hi, I Kathy. Just, I love Kathy. Kathy uh, she I, she probably wouldn't remember ever even meeting me. Oh, I don't know about that. She's pretty good about that stuff. But uh, Brooke I have, Brooke Shields uh, came to my opening night as a rock promoter in New York uh, yeah. that way before Suddenly Susan. What, what year was Suddenly Susan? I'm, I'm gonna guess like ninety four, ninety five. Yeah, this was in like uh, ninety that uh, she came to my thing and she was still like everybody thought of her as the Calvin Klein oh yeah, yeah underwear yeah. person yeah. in those days, but. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so suddenly Susan. I did some of that. I did huh. I had an animated cartoon that did pretty well. That was kind of fun. Oh. Um, and uh, then, um, I'm trying to think, then I guess at some point I started doing Frasier. Okay, so how, how did, was that, was Frasier already a thing when you got there? Yeah, yeah, it had been on six years. Oh, I started six. in the seventh year. So, that had to be a huge score. Yeah, it was. I was, you know, it's funny, I, I look back on all these things, I, 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 I can't, the reason I think that I don't watch the episodes is I think all I see is a parade of my own failings. I see where episodes could be better or where mm -hmm. I kind of maybe was lazy or, or, or I remember the week and something stupid I did. I, I, I just, I'm constantly running from my own memories of a problem. But, um, <laughs> you know, I recently thought of a, I, there's an episode of Cheers that I, that I was behind and, um, and I recently thought of a better ending for it. Wow! And it's like, well, it's 30 years now, but I, I now, so now I walk around with this knowledge of I know the better ending to this one episode. Okay, so please tell us what oh, the no, episode it, it, is. You'd have to, I'd have to go through what the whole episode was to build up to it. But uh, All right. Um, but uh, yeah, so I don't, I don't revisit because, you know, I, I think there are, you know, um, I'm afraid I'll, I'll see things that aren't that good. You know, hmm. and uh, I, I think our, I think that's common. Yeah. So, what was working on that show like? Did you did you talk Did you talk to anybody on that show? Well, more than I did on Cheers. Okay. I didn't pal around with anyone or, mm -hmm. or see anyone socially, but mm -hmm. I still still more than more than Cheers. And everyone was great. They were professional. They were brilliant. Um, and um, you know, and the writers were great. It was I was intimidated when I first started there. I mean, Frazier had such a reputation. There were rumors going around that you know uh, that. Someone told me at some point you had to wear a tie in the writer's room. That was, oh. that was a crazy one. Uh, another one was that you had to have your pitch entirely fully formed and perfect before you could present it, which turned out not to be true. Um, it was also a very quiet, introspective room, uh, much less boisterous okay. than sh some shows I've been on. Interesting. Um, but there were always some people on the staff. Jay, for example, Jay was like a hey, breath Jay. of uh, fresh air in that room. He was just, uh, you know, he would keep, I think he kept the room from taking itself too seriously. Oh. Nice. And he injected a kind of silliness to it that made us kind of remember that it's it's our job is supposed to be fun. So was it a more serious room because it was a more cerebral kind of show? I mean, it was definitely. I think, I think it was more. the personalities of the people who were running it. That was just fed the way they worked. You know, mm -hmm. everyone has their own style. And so, um, and so I did that for four years and uh, five years, I guess. And uh, yeah. 
Okay, so before we move on from this, you've you've now already won an Emmy. You win an Emmy. Oh, those are the days. So now, how that first nomination, that first, what's that like for you? Have you gone back to your dad? When do you go back to your dad and start talking about that Jaguar? When 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 does he when when does he shift his his thinking? You know, it's funny. My parents went through uh, an evolution of accepting uh, what I do, and at first, you know, when I was out here. Uh, and I started to actually get work. Um, they, I think they felt they never said it, but I think that they, they seemed kind of confused. Wait, was your mother on the same sort of page uh, as your mother, father? My mother was not as passionately against. I mm-hmm. think she just sort of she was happy. I was just that I was interested in doing something. Mm-hmm. You know, because I, like I said, practically bombed out of high school. So the fact that I was interested in some forward motion was right. enough for her. Right. My dad was the one who was avidly against it, but uh, but I think the phases they went through. I think. Because they didn't understand it first. I believe they thought that for some reason, people in Hollywood were being nice to me, as though maybe I did someone a favor. And so, oh, they're being nice to me. We don't know why, because he's not talented. Oh my <laughs> but, God! But you gotta remember. This is brutal. But you gotta remember, because it took me a while to go back and sort of really, you know, think this through. But mm-hmm. their primary impression of me over the many years that I lived in there, I was with them for, you know, about 20 years. And for most of that time, I was running around loudly trying to be funny and not being funny. Ah. And that's, so their, they had that's a... their primary memory okay. of me. Mm-hmm. So when I say, I'm going to go right for cheers, you know, they're, they're, they're shaking their heads and thinking, <laughs> well, it's the cringiest thing they could imagine. And I get from their point of view, yeah. So, um, and I remember they came to visit when I was on cheers. Mm-hmm. And... Um, that had to be beyond thrilling for your parents. Yeah, uh, it, it was. And my mom thanked the executive producer for hiring me. <laughs> and I took her second. Thank you. Thank you for hiring me. <laughs> oh, my God. It was very sweet. Oh. My, my parents also came to an episode of Frasier. <laughs> my friend Bob Daly always laughs at this. But um, we were, uh, the show went well. It was a lot, you know, we, the, we were in the studio audience. The show went really well. A laugh, 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 laugh. We're all walking back to our cars, and one of the writers, uh, his wife Janet, actually said to my mom, "You must be very proud of your son." And without missing a beat, my mom said, "My other son's a lawyer." <laughs> so, um, and you're not even Jewish. No, I might as well be. Uh, but, uh, wow, so anyway. that I so yeah. This is not my mother. That this is so my family, though. Mm-hmm. That is just yeah. Wow. But I. But the thing is, I you know. It's fun to make fun of the missteps and the misconceptions. How much damage does that? I mean, let's just talk serious for a moment because that still hurts. Doesn't it still hurt? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, here's the thing. I, I believe that it came out of, my father's thing, it came out of fear. You know, it's a, you're going to go to some place. I, I myself have never been. I don't know what's out there. Hollywood, I don't know what it's like. I, the way I understand you and relate to you, I don't believe that you would have any kind of skill out there it's scary. I think they were. <coughs> I think my father was afraid on my behalf, you know. And I get it. I, I don't. I don't hold right. any grudge about it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean it wasn't painful, and it doesn't mean that it didn't leave some sort of. Scars. But doesn't that still sting? All those years later, here you are successful, and your mother's still making a comment uh, like yeah, that. Yeah, but that might. Yeah, it's all right though. Yeah. I, I, but I. I don't believe they. They actually they mean. They, they don't, don't mean. They, they don't mean. mean it. And I, I think I. I now am a lot more. Uh, of the mind of understanding where it comes from mm-hmm. and letting that be the communication. If they want to say something mean, they'll say something mean, but at least I'll know they mean it. If they say something flippant that in the moment is careless, you know, for all I know, my mom kicked herself for the next two weeks for saying it. You know, or just like I kick myself or all the time. Or still kicking herself now. Yeah, you don't know. Could so, be. You know so, so what I do is I, I accept that, uh, you know, they did their best and it was not, you know, uh, 
always easy. And, you know, I don't, I don't know of a parent that has raised their kid without giving them some sort of, you know, I mean, we say damage, but if, if it's impossible to raise your kid without screwing them up in some tiny way, then do you even call it all damage? Is everyone damaged? In which case, isn't everyone normal by having damage? I don't know. We are all damaged, and we are all normal by having damage, I guess, but, but or some more than others. How about as a parent, are you hyper-aware because this happened to you? Did you overcompensate with your own daughter, do you think? Uh, I, I would like to think that I did not. My daughter wanted to be an actress uh, for some time when she mm -hmm. was much younger. And um, I really kind of sat and talked with her about it. About did the you encourage her? No, well, what I, did was, no, no, I, I, what I did was I, sh I framed my encouragement. I said, she's, she's like six years old, seven mm -hmm. years old. I said, if you want to take acting classes and if you want to be in plays, I will pay for the acting classes and I will come to every one of your performances. If you're just looking to get an agent and be in commercials and stuff like that, that's what I'm against because you will get hired because you're cute and you'll get a bunch of jobs and then when you're 13, your phone will stop ringing and you'll wonder why nobody loves you anymore. Okay. I, it, however, if you study it as a craft and you love doing it, mm -hmm. then perhaps when you're 13, 14, 15, you will actually have the kind of talent that people will call you. Mm -hmm. you know? And so I want to give you a good foundation. Mm -hmm. and, and also be clear, if you want to be an actor, you want to be a star. Because if you want to be an actor, you'll be happy acting for a hundred people or a thousand. Mm -hmm. If you want to be a star, you won't be happy till you're a star. And then guess what? You won't be happy <laughs> because you have to keep being a star. Mm -hmm. It'll drive you crazy. So that was how I approached that. So I, I would like to think that I didn't just, you know, every time. So she how said, did that go with her? Well, she and her mom, her mother and I were divorced mm -hmm. at the time, and they went and got an agent and started auditioning <laughs> for things like that. So. <laughs> Did she get commercials? Uh, no, she, yeah. she did a couple lines here and there on the mm -hmm. show. And by the way, by the time she turned 18, I got her like a two-line thing on Modern Family. So as, as a gift. But um, and, that, and that was, she's not an actress today. She doesn't really pursue it. I mean, every now and again, if something comes up that's right for her, she'll look at it. But mm -hmm. it doesn't seem to be a passion like the way she mm -hmm. expressed it as a kid. Mm -hmm. um, Is, are people still watching us? Yeah, uh, nine of them. Nine? <laughs> we lost two. Great. All right. Let's How do you know who? My parents. Yeah. <laughs> let's see if anybody... Um, no, I brilliant writing. Okay, let's see. John yeah. Myers has something long to say. Let's see here. Hooray. Um, we'll have to cut his head off and bury... Uh, I don't know what he's... Oh, Jesus, did I say that? Jesus, oh. did I say that? Um, so I took Vicky's challenge to look it up, so please don't blame me. And in a way, I sort of proved you did write it. Oh, he's saying that you did write Thank it. Thank you. He found out that you Thank were you. telling the truth. I always um, Glad to see another Clevelander. Who's that? Um, that is Laura Frost. Hi, Laura Frost. Um, okay, so if anybody's got questions, hi, David Pincus. If anybody's got any questions for Dan, um, and thank you for looking it up, John. That was, that was sporting of you. Um, okay, so, so you finish with Frasier. And, uh, and, oh, the Emmy, that's what I asked you. So what yeah. is it like? Oh, it's amazing. I mean, it's just, it was like, um. Does that take your parents to a new level of respect? Is that? Possibly. Mm -hmm. You know, I, um, it was a bit of a blur. It was a, a wonderful blur. Mm -hmm. I remember that. But, uh, um, yeah, it was, um, you know, it felt in a weird way like, uh, a large, the end should have appeared in the sky <laughs> for me. You know, because it's like one of those moments where the movie should end now. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, and I think that's when I started to realize in my life that the movie doesn't end 
until you die. And so there's this whole kind of like, now what? Yeah, but you, you've a, had no anti... You, you, there's nothing anticlimactic well, about I, your career. You've had, I've done yeah, but you've had 11 other nominations. No, I should, I should clear that up. I had 12 nominations total. Right. And six of those, I won Emmys. So I did not get the six... Oh, and not one. 12 more. I gotcha. Okay, it's it's worded weirdly somewhere online that I saw that. Uh, okay, so. okay. So so 12 total nominations. Pretty nice yeah, thing. Yeah, by, the, by the way, I, I, will, I will happily accept whatever portion of the credit I would deserve for that, but I also have to mention that, that right, a lot of these are these amazing shows mm -hmm. that I was lucky enough to be a part of. You know, I did not establish all the rules of Cheers or Frasier or, you know. But there are, there are like specific episodes that got, that get nominated for those Emmy Awards mm -hmm. and whatever were any of those ones that were direct. I, th I think, I think that year we did Cheers that my partner and I wrote one, but then again, we all wrote on them, and the executive, right. and Bill and Sherry and Feith, they were doing the whole thing, really. Mm -hmm. But um, so I, I'm just very careful. I just want to be very careful and straight to say that these shows won, and I was lucky enough to be a small cog. So I, I you know, it's a little misleading because it always feels like I say I won an Emmy. Like I won an Emmy for something great I wrote. I wrote an Emmy for being a part of something that a bunch of us did together. Is, yeah. is more accurate. Yeah, but that's that's okay because you are part of it, and you are part of what has made it a success, and and. It would be one thing if you did it once, then we could all wonder if you really <laughs> earned it. But the fact that you did it all of those times, I'm, I'm thinking you had something to do with it. So I'm thinking that's safe to say. So um, so you leave Frasier, and what happens after Frasier? I don't remember. I don't remember. All right, so how do you get to Modern Family? family. I wrote, okay. okay, Modern Family, Modern Family. I did dramas for a little while. Oh, I, was on a, I don't I was, even know that. I was on a sci-fi show called Threshold that was on CBS one season, and then I did So a, wait, how did you... How did you make that shift as a writer? I was, well, I was lucky enough to meet a writer named Brandon Braga, who mm -hmm. is just terrific, and he does sci-fi mm -hmm. primarily. Do you did you love sci-fi? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, he was on a show. He he wrote a million Star Trek: Next Generation, Star Trek: Voyager. Mm -hmm. He was starting one called uh, Star Trek: Enterprise. And I, during Frasier, I would go home, and at night, late at night, I would watch these Enterprise rerun, uh, these. Uh, Star Trek Voyager reruns, mm -hmm. and I kept seeing Brandon's name, and I went to work, and I said, does anyone know Brandon Braga? And it turns out his office was on the lot, a oh, couple wow. buildings away from uh -huh. him. So I just went over and met him. And then uh, it turns out he and I were moving onto the same street in the valley, and we became inseparable uh, for, for a few years there. And I would, um, and I would like pitch around ideas with him and stuff, and he was nice enough to listen, because I'm sure everyone did. And I would occasionally, at the end of the day at Frasier, I would walk over to the to the writers on Star Trek Enterprise and shoot around ideas with those guys. And occasionally, an idea for a scene might show up in the show or something. Oh, nice. Like that. Yeah. Uh huh. And then I came up with an idea for a story that he had a writer named Chris Black end up doing the episode. He did a great job, but a little germ of the story was mine, so I got a credit, which was nice. Nice. And so then, when he was doing Threshold, he brought me onto that. In fact, he's the one who got me onto the Orville, which is where I am now. But um, wow, that's a sci-fi show. Uh huh. So and then I did a, a show called. Uh, Called Jericho, which is a post-apocalyptic uh -huh. show. <laughs> Abel Vicky says. Say that three. Yeah. Uh, post-apocalyptic show on CBS, and um, and that was a really interesting experience. That was my first just full-on drama. And how does that feel? Like because your whole thing when you were a kid was about being funny. Yeah. Sometime during Cheers, I started to morph away from just wanting to be funny. Uh, because I began to understand the power of storytelling and uh, all the emotions that you could hit 
and still get laughs. Mm -hmm. You know, and the, the idea that you could make people cry, mm -hmm. make people anxious, you could be, make people angry, and then pay it off with something so the joke would be much bigger. Mm -hmm. To hold back the laugh and create tension, and, you know, whatever. Um, and that became very fascinating to me. And around that time, I had started going to therapy, mm -hmm. which I was, because I was rather unhappy. Not like now. <laughs> and uh, I thought... How long ago was this? Oh. What year is approximately? Let's say 89, 90. Okay, that's a long time ago. And um, and I through therapy, I began to understand my own behavior. Mm -hmm. When I was upset about this, I was really upset because of this ah. from years ago. And I began to understand that I have this subtext to me mm -hmm. that... Um, um, Everybody the characters does. must have subtext too. Mm -hmm. So, so when characters are on the TV show, you know, mm -hmm. they did not wake up expecting to be funny for America. They're not trying to be funny. They're trying to live their lives, and they have their goals and their hopes and their dreams and their fears, and they express them in ways that make us laugh. Mm -hmm. But they are not aware of us. Right. And I began to write the characters a little differently in my mind. Interesting. I also found that I, I started to, uh, I'd always loved writing for Cliff. He was the character that would say these long, silly, funny things. And I used to just love writing that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But as I was going through this in my life, I began to gravitate toward Frazier. And not because he was a therapist, but because he was a guy who came into the bar and made fun of everyone for wasting their lives in the bar. But he never left. And that's subtext. You know, and that's that's like a guy who's at odds with himself. He has an inner life that's conflicting with his outer life, what he nice. wants to be versus who he is. And with the character that rich and that deep, mm -hmm. who works so hard to avoid shame and fear, you know, all, all the shame and embarrassment and all, all the things he, he's always done, it, that was definitely a character that could then do another 11 years after Cheers. So um, so that became a, a little more of my, my interest in figuring out how to do stories, mm -hmm. is how to manipulate uh, the feelings in the viewers. And for writers who go from comedy to drama, mm -hmm. all the rules of comedy narrative are the same in drama. You still want to tell a good story with a satisfying ending. You have to set it up in a certain way and have a scene be driven to a certain point and motivate everything emotionally. All those rules still exist. You just don't have to be funny every few seconds. Mm -hmm. And so in a way, it was a little bit easier. Uh -huh. But um, but then after I did that for a year and a half, I, I went back to comedies and ended up doing Modern Family. So, and what was that room like? Modern Family is an interesting show. It was, it's written by two uh, extremely talented guys, Chris Lloyd, mm -hmm. who hired me on Frasier, and uh, Steve Levitan, mm -hmm. who did Just Shoot Me. Mm -hmm. And uh, they both are very talented, very alpha male, and uh, um, each How does very that work? Who says it does? Ah. Um, <laughs> no, no, it's, uh, it's interesting because each of them lives in a world where only one other person in that world can say no, and it's the other one. Wow. So they're locked in this thing. But, um, but they found their way to work, which was that each would shepherd half the episodes of the season. Oh, I see. Because each one of them just has a very different approach to the characters and the show creatively. How, can and, you give us a difference between how Christopher, how Steve... Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I can, I can, I'll do... I will super simplify this. Okay. Because this is now without nuance. It's like saying Paul McCartney writes the ballads and John Lennon and the hard rockers, <laughs> which is not exactly true, but that's right. the shorthand. Mm-hmm. In my mind, Chris writes uh, from the head. He crafts these stories. Mm -hmm. And uh, so every line has a, a thing that's going to come into play later, and there's a reason for setting this up, and then he brings in this, and then suddenly when you're not expecting this happens, and then and it's all like a beautiful sculpture or a Rubik's Cube or mm. something that's really thought out. Really crafted. And also very emotionally satisfying. Mm -hmm. and 
Whereas Steve mm -hmm. would, would take a tiny emotional moment and take that moment and try to just, just air it out into the whole episode, where the whole episode is just the emotional moment, less worried about moving the scenes, thrusting in this and that and pull, she pull. You know? so, um, and so that's more of like an emotional approach. Mm -hmm. um, now that said, each will write in the style of the other, or each will write something in the middle uh, of that. And you had all the rest of us writers in the room writing you know, this kind and that kind of story. And in a way, the fact that there are sort of these different approaches mm -hmm. makes the show really flexible. Mm. Because it isn't just the same style every week. It, it's almost, this way almost forces it to be, you know, to, to have slightly different areas it can go into. So now could somebody who was sitting on the outside point to an episode, oh, that's a Christopher. I probably could. I think people who have been on the show for a number of years mm -hmm. probably could. Mm -hmm. But I don't believe that people who... Who are just watching. Yeah, I'm not going to yeah, know that. Yeah, yeah. But that's all I was there five, five years. So mm -hmm. you, you just hear their voices in your head a little bit. Yeah. But, uh, um, but, it, but here's the thing. I think it's actually, although it must be very frustrating for them and for some people there, it's, a, it's it, in some weird way, I think it may actually have been good for the show. What, was the, what, what, what room was the most fun for you? Just fun. Uh, is it ever fun? Yeah. Well, it's I hope so. like, Yes. And the thing is, when you're in a room full of writers and you're dredging through your life for every story you can think of mm -hmm. because you need stories every week, right. you become very, very close because mm -hmm. everyone knows your whole life. They know your relationships at home. They know how you are with your kids, what it was like with your parents, all this mm -hmm. stuff. And it, it, it's by the end of the season when you leave, you know, well, if you know you're coming back, it's one thing. But if you're leaving forever, it's like, how am I going to live without these people? You know, we... I went through a divorce while I was on Modern Family, mm -hmm. and it was a pretty rough time for me. Mm -hmm. And I, I will say that that all the writers around the table were so nice to me. They could see when I was, you know, kind of like, you know, going through it, and they were a little extra nice to me. And they, 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 you know, I didn't have to work quite as hard a couple times. They would let me oh. kind of co-write a script instead of write one by myself. Um, and uh, they were just very sweet, and I would have done the same for them. Mm -hmm. So we all get very close, I think. But we also fight like brothers and sisters, definitely. As for the most fun, you know, I have lots of good memories in all of these rooms that were mm -hmm. fun in very different ways. Mm -hmm. Creatively speaking, I enjoyed uh, when, at the end of Cheers and during my time on Frasier, when I had sort of some amount of control. Mm -hmm. Because then, to me, I could treat the show like a laboratory. So now, when you're an executive producer, uh -huh. are you doing anything other than writing? Yeah, I mean, you have to, uh, um, you know, depending on what the show's relationship is with the studio and the network, you might have to deal with executives. Um, fortunately, Cheers, Frasier, you know, those shows were already big hits, so we could do whatever we wanted. Like I'm saying, I had control at Frasier, and I had a room full of writers who were terrific, mm. all in slightly different ways. I had a cast that was amazing, and so it's kind of, okay, let's try to do a story where blah, 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 and let's challenge ourselves this way, or let's try, you know, no one's ever done one like this. And sometimes the episodes would fall on their faces, but other times we'd have something kind of special. Can you remember any, anything iconic mm -hmm. in Frasier that you feel really good about, like, that you yeah, love? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say iconic, but we did an episode where, uh, where Frasier and Niles are talking about Niles' relationship to Daphne that has been going on for years. But rather than just do flashbacks... What we did was we, we took Frasier and Niles and we digitally inserted the two actors into scenes that had been shot in earlier episodes, like even 10 years ago, so mm -hmm. they could interact with themselves. So it was highly technical. Wow. Yeah. Like, for example, there was one, um, um, there was one scene where, uh, from an earlier episode where Niles and Daphne were chopping vegetables and singing Heart and Soul. And when I moved Frasier and Niles present day into that scene to watch to them, uh -huh. and Niles present day goes and stands and adds a third part of harmony. 
to the song that he sang before. So stuff like that. I have that. seen that, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so to be able to try and do things like that in a multi-camera sitcom was exciting for me creatively. Hell yeah. And to have a writing staff that they seem to, you have to ask them, but they seem to trust me because I would try different things. Let's do a Sliding Doors episode, whatever. Um, and they'd get excited about it. And everyone there would just pitch in and it felt like just the best of all of us when mm. we made it work. And there were times where we would just swing and miss, and mm-hmm. we all feel horrible about that. But um, to me, in, in a way, I, I that's one of the things that people say, what was your favorite show? It's never a favorite show, because they were all great. Mm-hmm. But I did have circumstances, and just like slices of time mm-hmm. with people that I just love and admire that I've got to have through all the shows. But when I got to just really be able to do whatever the hell I wanted, and people would just let me try things with their multi-million dollar shows, <laughs> fools! <laughs> um, that was... That was I mean, I, I, I don't think I'll ever repeat that experience. So I'm lucky I, had, I appreciated it when I had it, you know. Good. That's very important to yeah. me that you enjoyed it while you, that you knew yeah. you had something. Yeah. So, so now doing this, um, when you, is your day different when you're writing comedy or if you're writing something serious? Is your life different? Do you feel different? Um, hmm. Well, you know what? After this many kinds of shows, mm-hmm. I feel like it's... A, the fact that uh, it is different from show to show. Even mm-hmm. if you're doing a sitcom and then another sitcom, you know, on one, you might have a showrunner that keeps you there until two in the morning every day. On another one, it might run very smoothly. You're home at six every day. So it's very different, mm-hmm. yet the same. Um, I'm on this show, The Orville, now that Seth MacFarlane does, and he's got a very uh, unique way of, of, of working. And How so? Well, he doesn't, well, fortunately, he doesn't have to take notes from any network or studio. And he is so actively involved in the show mm. and so talented. But he created the show. He spearheads every episode. He writes all the outlines. He, he directs episodes. He stars in the show. Wow. Um, and the quality is really terrific. And he mm. holds himself up to a standard that the rest of us are just trying to keep up. There's some people in the room who are just, you know, pitching great stuff. And I, because I, I'm still new there, I'm, I'm just like the first time in any room. I'm like, oh, how can I keep <laughs> up with these people? You know? And... Um, but it's it's a, an amazing experience. But it's all different, yeah. But I, I could be done writing in another year or two, I think. Yeah. Okay. So that was my next question. Do you ever do you ever? I've, I've also as- written two books. You know. So okay, I, we're going to talk and about more those. animation. That's crazy. So do you aspire? Did you do you ever want to like? Oh, I'd like to do some. I'd like to perform again. Does that ever come up for you? I do every now and again. I just mm-hmm. did a uh, an event called Rant and Rave where I got to tell oh, yeah, a story. Oh, about that. Uh, uh, Betsy Zyko, who is mm-hmm. a good friend of mine, probably not watching. Probably watching <laughs> the debates. She's probably watching the debates. Yeah, because yeah. she cares about the country. Um, <laughs> but uh, but she runs this thing called Rant and Rave that okay. we do for the uh, um, um, Rogue Machine is the theater group that I think that does this. Anyway, and so you know you give a you know, told a theme and you do a spoken word just story for ten minutes or whatever. I've been doing a few of those. Kind of things. I've done one in Ohio, some here. And I immediately put my foot in my mouth and said, "How oh, I'm not into storytelling." But which, that's okay. But, that's but, like it's not, but, but like, anything, no, anything done well is fantastic. Yeah. Oh. You know, I and and yes, anything done well but, is fantastic. But, and I enjoy doing it. But I also it just brings home this is fun. I can enjoy it. The audience seems to have a good time. But it's not. It doesn't make me hungry to just keep doing it and doing it. I, I still don't have that drive to be a performer, be an actor, or any of that. So it's fun what to drives do. you now? What, what? Less and less, I have to say. And in fact, you know, uh, you know how like people they'll they'll graduate high school or college and they're kind of almost paralyzed. Like, what am I going to do in the world? Mm-hmm. They just don't know. I never had that because from eight I knew what I wanted to do. Right. And now that I've done it, 
I'm finally at this place like, what do I really want to do now? I did the thing I wanted to do when I was eight. Have you I've written any enough. features? No, but I'm too lazy for that. I don't know if you, I did the research on this. You see, a, uh, a TV script, mm -hmm. like a half hour, it's like 35 pages. Mm -hmm. A movie script, over 100 pages. <laughs> I can't do that. I don't know what characters do after page 35. <laughs> I think they lie there and wait for you to write page one again. You know? I can't do it. I can't tell a story that long. All the stories I've ever wanted to tell seem to fit like within half an hour or an animated short or a short story or whatever. You that know? is so interesting. And and have you had, um, you, you talked about a show early on that you got made, six yeah, episodes. I did, I did two, two shows uh, and one lasted 15 episodes. Okay, so. what was that? It was a show called Maggie. It was on Lifetime. Oh, yeah. Um, and it, uh, I was quite proud of it, but for reasons that... Wait, who know, was Maggie? Uh, Ann Cusack was Maggie. Um, and, uh, and, oh, and Ed Bagley was the first guy oh! to play her husband. And then, again, again we replaced him with a, a very great actor, mm -hmm. but at the same time, break. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, and that was, a, that was a show I was quite proud of. But, you know, sometimes shows don't get their audiences or a million different things can happen. So it's that's not what something has to that's... Happen it's amazing how the planets have to line up for a show to work. Mm -hmm. I mean, just one thing goes wrong and you don't have a show. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was lucky to have what I had. And I don't have a desire at this moment to create another show. That's what I was just going to ask you. you know, I, I did when I was younger, but now I feel like it's almost like in this day and age, mm -hmm. everybody's creating shows. You're, we're creating a show right now. Um, you know, there's so many outlets and so many people with cameras putting on shows. I almost feel like, what do I have that's going to cut through all that or add to that in any meaningful way? I feel like... There's enough people telling stories. Maybe we start, maybe the world needs people to actually listen to them all now. So maybe I'll just watch stories now. But I, I just, you know. How about like a Netflix thing? Yeah. Like if a, I had an amazing mm -hmm. idea and the drive mm -hmm. and the and the willingness to deal with executives and this and that and this and that. And, and Although I heard they're easier over there. This I don't know, maybe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But um, so, uh, you know, if something would have to be a great idea and I'd have to have that drive and passion but I'm, it's you know it's been 35 years mm -hmm. of writing and I'm a little little tired so is there something else is there something is there something else like relaxation recreational that you'd like to do with your life is this does something call you just to no I am a blank slate and this is the first time I, interesting. It, it was scary to realize that but mm -hmm. it's it's uh, now I'm kind of getting used to the idea that I simply don't know what the next part of my life is and that's, I think that's okay. For now. It's that's the first time I have, and no. So why not figure out what that's all about? I think that's really good. Because if you're really present, yeah. um, then you're open to anything that can come. I, I think that's really interesting. Um, so, so you're doing this now. You, um, your grandfather. Which I am. Is, I'm a grandfather. He's, uh, my grandson is three years old. Oh, he's great. He's hilarious. He's very, very smart, smart fellow. He drove me here. <laughs> he's in the car, just smoking and reading magazines. While I... No, he's a, he's a good kid. I like him. Did, did, was any of that part? I don't get the feeling that any of that was part of your life, drugs, alcohol. No. No, no I, I just never got into it. You know, I, I, I'm lucky in that I never liked the taste of alcohol because mm -hmm. I don't have a judgment about it. Mm -hmm. And if I'd liked the taste, I would have kept drinking and perhaps I, I would have been addicted because people in my family have. But... Um, I simply never liked the taste, so I thought, well, why, why make myself like something that could own me at some point? And so, not in your fa not in your genes, your, fam your family. Uh, my, I have, I had many uncles who died of like alcoholism mm -hmm. and stuff like mm -hmm. back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, but so, but again, why, why make myself like it? It's sort of like cigarettes. Uh, no one loves their first cigarette, 
You know, you just like cough and cough and cough and cough, you know, I don't think. You know, I'm, I'm just, thinking back, I'm trying to think back to my first cigarette. I'm try, I, just, I, I, always wonder, I always wonder why anyone tries a second cigarette. I mean, <laughs> yes, peer pressure, it looks cool, whatever. It's like, but after, because I tried like one mm -hmm. years and years ago, and I coughed my, my head off, and it was like, then they, they said, you want another one? No, I coughed my, did you hear me? I want another one. Why? Yeah, so, well, um, some of us are addicts, and so yeah, we no, no, do those I, no, things. I, yeah, but uh, I, I, like I said, I'm just sort of lucky that I never, peer mm -hmm. pressure was never a thing for me, mm -hmm. and uh, if I didn't like the taste or feel of something. How about like, you as a kid? Were you, how, how was being like smart and funny and... Oh, I was neither, unfortunately. I was driven, oh. but I don't, I, I was analytical in kind of a subtle way. I was always taking things apart. I was taking jokes apart in my head. Oh, they did this thing on TV. That joke that they did on this show, that's really the same joke they did on this show, only instead of this, they said that. Okay, ah. interesting. And that didn't mean I could necessarily replicate it, mm -hmm. but I was starting to notice mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. Like if someone said, um, oh, mom left a pie in the fridge. Did she say what kind? No, but I think it's a frigid air. <laughs> okay. Okay, so what <laughs> kind could refer to pie or the refrigerator, and he made it the less likely choice. Oh, I see. Uh -huh. You know that that kind of thing, and I it was the same with music and art. You know, it's like I because I, I played some instruments. Oh. You know, uh -huh. and, and and what I would do is I would take apart songs mm -hmm. and then learn the little parts. You know, like the Beach Boys or the Beatles, I would listen to their harmonies and separate them out. And then I, oh, and then can the, you and, sing harmony? Because that's a gift. Yeah, yeah, I can. Uh -huh. well, I don't. I'm not. I don't have a great voice. I can sing harmony, harmony along with. Or if I've heard the song enough, I can. Right. Play it. Mm -hmm. And you know they, they have that the phrase about how you can't carry a tune in a bucket. You know. No, I don't they know that. Just keeps, oh, I can't carry a tune in a bucket. Oh. I always say I can get it there, but I spill a lot on the way. You know. <laughs> so I'm hit and miss, but I hit sometimes. So, uh, but I would take songs apart mm -hmm. and, and listen to the individual instruments or the individual voices, and then I'd go, okay, and then you put it together, that's why it sounds like this. And I've always done that, I've always taken things apart to look at the pieces, because it's less scary if you say, oh, you know, this, uh, this is really, oh, this person just singing that, oh, and it's just the same as the bass, and you blah, 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 you know, whatever. And so that taught me basic, you know. So, it, and is that how you, you write comedy? Will you, do you write comedy from... I think when I first started, I did. When I first started, I would try to be a little formulaic uh -huh. with the jokes. And then, uh, you know, I don't think in terms of formula when I come up with jokes. It's, I think it's all embedded in mm -hmm. a way. Mm -hmm. So many years of it. And so I'll just, I'll, I'll see an opportunity for a joke and, you know, pop something out. But, uh, uh, but I, I don't, yeah, I'm not formulaic. I can be formulaic in reverse. Like if someone says, how'd you come up with that? I'll go back and I'll remember my thought processes that got me that. Interesting. But, um, but now it's, it seems like it, it's almost like second language, you know. And how about the books? How did, what, tell, tell us about the books. Well, the first one was a, a book on comedy theory. Mm -hmm. Like, why does certain information make us respond this way? And, uh, you know, I've read some uh, pieces about comedy theory is written, and usually written by people who don't do comedy. They're academics, or mm -hmm. it was like Freud or Aristotle or, or Schopenhauer, or, and then, you know, all these, these academics. And they all say, all comedy is X. And the thing is, I don't believe that was ever the right approach. If you say all comedy is X, then you're limiting what comedy is. And mm -hmm. by the way, if you say all comedy is X, I will give you an example of comedy or something. That, that is why. That is why. Yeah, right? yeah. And so mm -hmm. I, I, then I, one day I started thinking, well, if I was going to try to tackle it based on what I've learned, what, how would I do it? Mm -hmm. and I spent the next eight years writing a book. Uh, and it creates sort of a landscape of variables that can come into play. Uh, when people are confronted with information that they experience as humorous, you know, 
Uh, and so if you're writing it and create it, you, you sort of ride those variables and you kind of go with the odds and that sort of thing. So I've lectured on it and, and the book's being used in some colleges. And, uh, nice. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, it's an original work and uh, it gets really deep. Uh, but uh, eight years, yeah. you know. And I, I, I said on the on the thread earlier that you know we're gonna we're gonna get serious about the funny, and I didn't think we really were, but we, we did. We did, kind of did. We kind of well, did. Okay. Well, okay. I can bring you back. I tell you okay. the other book. Okay. The other, okay. The other book is a collection of cartoons. Uh, oh. there, I mean, there, I didn't draw them. I, uh, but I'll tell you. What's it called? The Adventures of Mrs. Jesus. May I say that? You may. Too late? I, I, I was at Modern Family, and I was going through my divorce and my nervous breakdown, because I actually did have a nervous breakdown. Oh, but, uh, oh it was horrible. But I, I, I was drawing on the script, and I drew a picture of Jesus on the cross, and there was a woman standing at the base of it, and she says to him, are you even going to ask me about my day? And I called it The Adventures of Mrs. Jesus. And, and that night I thought, well, I'm going to put this on Facebook, but I didn't feel like drawing it again. So I, so I, I cut out, uh, digitally cut out like some images from some Renaissance paintings of Jesus and a woman, and I put in a little balloon, mm-hmm. and I put it on there, and um, and uh, <laughs> some people some people hated it, and some people loved it, and so the next night I did another one, and I did another one, and then I was doing them all the time. My mother unfriended me on Facebook. <laughs> By the way, which is the second saddest thing after the fact that she had been my Facebook friend. <laughs> and uh, I can't believe you're you know, on Facebook. She said, she said, wow. I can't believe you're... Uh, you're making fun of Jesus after everything he's done for you. And, and I'm trying to think, what did Jesus, wait, what was that thing that he did? Like, oh yeah, the time I had a flat tire and he came out. And, oh, thanks. No, um, I said, I said, but I did say, I said, I'm not making fun of Jesus. I'm making fun of a person who is so self-centered she can't see the suffering of someone close to her, which was the kind of the theme. That's a really good answer. And, um, and, uh, oh wait, so, the so th- I, say that theme again. Maybe that, I, I gotta... was making fun of somebody who was so self-centered yes. that she couldn't even recognize the suffering of someone you know, in front of her. I like that. So um, that became the theme of the book. And uh, But I did like a hundred of these on So give Facebook. us one more. Oh gosh, gosh. Well, you know, maybe I can tell people where to find some online. Okay. Because I did like a hundred and fifty of these. All things. right, so I won't put you on the spot to come up with yeah, one. Yeah. Well, I thought maybe it would quickly come to you but that that one's really good so um i, I don't want to make you do to do another one i like that one a lot so you would like this book i think I yeah think. I, I, I and think. you didn't bring it so no, i can't go, go, go to amazon.com <laughs> the adventures of mrs jesus or uh oh there's a website i have that i haven't oh. touched in three years so it's just i threw a bunch of stuff on this website i called the oshannonland.com <laughs> and there's some mrs jesus cartoons and some things i've drawn and little stories and not just enough to keep you busy all night <laughs> So, so drawing a two, huh? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. And is that something you also taught yourself to do? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just all determination and just doing things over and over and over. And, so is there yeah. another book in you, maybe? Possibly. Does yeah. anything call you? Um, no, I, you know, I might do like, like some, like, like short kind of pieces, like anecdotes, I guess short stories. I, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I'm going to read this book and then I'm going to rip it off. <laughs> I'm write my own version of it. Jump! It'll be called Jump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, Dan, I just like the idea that you knew everything you wanted to do and you sort of manifested an eight-year-old's idea yeah. and made it Yeah, unfortunately, psychologically, I've been held hostage by that eight-year-old for 50-some years now. It's worked out pretty well for you, though. In some ways, yes, but in other ways, no, because I don't know. I, I'm at an age where it's like, well, what do I want now? I know what he wanted. He got it. What do I want? You know, and so uh, I 
had to, to basically sweep everything aside and go, okay, what, what do I want? What are the things I like? Not the things I've liked since I was a kid. If someone says, what's your favorite movie, your favorite song, your favorite color, I don't want to just reflexively say the things I've said all my life. Oh, what, what do I like? What is, do I have a favorite movie or a favorite song? Probably not. But I mean, who am I now? And what do I want out of this world? And so that's where I am at the moment. So what does that journey look like for you? I mean, is it something that you consciously, is, are you just kind of, do you give a thought? Yeah, I, I haven't really landed on anything, mm -hmm. but I give it thought, yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. And it might be one of those things where when I stop writing, then just the quiet will allow whatever answer it is to come through. I like that. Do you travel? Not, it, I travel within the United States a lot. I love to road trip. I've driven to Ohio and back many times. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I went to England last year, and maybe one day I'll really kind of start seeing the world. But is there a reason that you haven't done that? I can't think of one. Just I, I it for, doesn't for, many, for many years I didn't like flying at all. Mm -hmm. I'm better at it now. And um, yeah, so flying somewhere with my daughter once, and it was back when I was still hated flying. We were taking off, and my daughter she was like 15 or so. She said, "Why do you hate flying?" And I said, "Well, you know, the reason everyone hates flying. Maybe I thought of crashing." She says, "That doesn't scare me. I'm scared of the plane flipping over." And I looked at her like, "What? You know that the plane can flip over? <laughs> you know, I didn't know that was a thing." So, she gave you a new level. No, that was just it for another. <laughs> I've never heard of a plane flipping over. I, I, I don't mean, think planes can flip over. I would hope they can. No, I don't think planes can Let's flip just say over. they can't. Let's just say planes can't flip over. Um, I, I, um, it's been lovely getting to know you. We, we talked maybe about having coffee before. But it was very nice to do this with everybody watching. I like doing things with everybody still, watching. What are we done with? We're, 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 we're like at seven we're, now. We're at seven. But we lost two more. No. Judy, hi Judy Orbach. Do you know Judy? Do I? She uh, manages comedians. I don't know. You, oh, I don't. Kathy Lyman, actually, she does. Oh, I like Kathy. Um, and uh, hi Mary Navaria. She moved to Colorado. Hi Mary, you don't live here anymore. Um, that's very sad to me. But no, I'm happy that you're there and having fun. Um, well, I, I'm going to be very curious to see what the future brings to you me and where you too. end up. And I suspect that it will. Um, be glorious, whatever it is, because uh, you are a a very thoughtful. I, I really did expect you were when we were emailing you. Everything was funny, 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 and it's really fascinating that this turned into one of the most serious shows that I've done, oh but thoughtful um, in a very good way. And and I think you've I think given there are seven people who agree with you. No, and I think this is a lying number, by the way. This means uh -huh. absolutely nothing. Okay. This means absolutely. This is so this. We don't have seven. No, we have many more than that. This is a lying number. Okay. It's I. It's sure means no. absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm sure. No, it means absolutely yeah, nothing. Eight or nine. No, <laughs> but we are fighting the presidents. But I, we'll, we'll have a watch party after when more people watch, even though it's a moon void, and Mercury is at the end of the retrograde. It ends right now. Actually, right now. Thank God. We are, it's but about I've had to a turn bad out. month, so it would be nice if. Uh, it's gonna, but there's a two-week shadow that happens, and so I'm oh. sorry. You st you, there's still more stuff going on, but Zoe Moon, my one of my closest friends and astrologer, swears to me that tomorrow is going to be a much better day than we've had this week. So look forward to a good day okay. tomorrow. I like that. Yeah, I like the good day. And um, and and I, I hope we go out and have that coffee. And well, next time, but like, you have to like make me laugh. No, you made me laugh a lot. You're very funny. What do I have to do? You, no, you're very funny and you're very cute. He looks like Harry Anderson. 
and uh, and a little bit like Dana Carvey, but I'm yeah, I, I get that. And um, and thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate well, thank it. You for having me. And Pete, look it. There's no more gigging for you. No, I'm, I'm, I hope you're having a great time in Reno, Pete. Harry, thank you so much for turning on and off the camera. I really appreciate that. You set up the shot beautifully, though. We're getting some love here. And um, I can't even remember who my guest is next week. I guess it would be nice if I looked and so that I could give him yeah, a shout yeah, yeah. out, right? Yeah. Okay, so let's see. Oh, Jason Butler Harner. My friend Jason Butler Harner was on Ozark. Did you watch Ozark? No. Oh, Ozark is great. Binge it. Okay. Jason is this very corrupt, um, uh, um, he's like an FBI guy or something. Oh, it's Ozark is ex excellent. And Jason just got a new show. And He's going to be a leading man on a, on a show, and he's going to be leaving to do that. But he's going to come here first. But I saw him on Broadway last year. Wow. Amazing. He's a wonderful actor. And um, so he's going to be right here, Jason. Uh, he's, a tough, <laughs> he's a tough act to proceed. He is a tough act to proceed. Um, so anyway, thank you. Thanks again so much. Oh. Thank you. And uh, Harry, thank you. And we'll thank see you Thank you, Harry. Soon. <laughs>